This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I'm excited about today's guest. I met him uh, at our mutual friend's wedding not too long ago and uh, loved hearing more about the work that he's doing. I think that uh, some of you will be very familiar with John Anik, a UFC commentator, and um, really excited to bring uh, your story to the Resilient Life podcast. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's an honor to be with you. I have to say, in all my time calling fights with Brian Stan, the name he uttered the most was Travis Mannion. So uh, it's an honor to be sure uh, to be with you and your audience and to have met you a few weeks ago and uh, to be on your podcast, which is blowing up. I'm doing something wrong. I've been doing a podcast for seven years and my audience doesn't touch yours. So maybe <laughs> on the backside, give me some advice as to how to grow my audience. Love that. Yeah. You know, uh, so Brian Stan is our mutual friend um, and Brian and my brother, Travis, uh, were, were great friends at the Naval Academy and in the Marine Corps. And actually, um, you know, when Brian started fighting, um, for those who, who know Brian Stan, All-American Brian Stan, MMA fighter, went and did uh, some UFC fighting. And that was probably the most stressful time in my life because we would order these fights. And I remember just being there watching Brian and thinking, oh my gosh, please. Huh. And he had some really tough, tough fights. And there were, there were fights where I was just like, he needs to just stop doing this because it was just brutal to watch. But, you know, Brian, when he started fighting, um, my brother Travis was actually his first corner man when he was doing these fights down in Quantico um, and started fighting with the Marine Corps. And he shared so many stories after Travis's death about some times they had and, and some things they experienced when he was getting started with his fighting career. So um, I've always, you know, been a fan of uh, the UFC from, you know, peripherally. Um, and it was, it was again, great to meet you. Um, I think, again, a lot of our, our audience is probably familiar with you and, and at least the role that you play, but I'd love to just start by having you tell a little bit about your job at the UFC. So it's been 11 years. I worked as a commentator host type at ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut for about five or six years. And towards the end of my time there, I started doing some mixed martial arts coverage for ESPN. And part of that was sort of precipitated by some boxing coverage. I had hosted a boxing show out of Boston, Massachusetts, and kind of made me one of the few combat sports guys in the building at ESPN. So when they got into MMA coverage, I kind of had the inside lane. So then in 2011, when the UFC was essentially doubling its live event schedule from 20 to 40 events, I was one of the few kind of MMA guys out there. I didn't have a ton of play-by-play -play experience, but I had called mixed martial arts before, and uh, it was a dream opportunity for me. I, I knew at that point in time that I didn't want to be in a studio in Bristol, Connecticut, be in a highlight machine for the rest of my life. I wanted to be doing live events and ideally doing play-by-play, -play. and the play-by-play -play opportunities for me as an anchor were kind of few and far between as a full-time ESPN employee, so uh 
couldn't have drawn it up any better. You know, I think better to be lucky than good at times for me to be sure. But uh, I was as ready as I could be for the opportunity in 2011. I've, I've been doing it for 11 years and uh, it's the devil I know, right? I mean, I'm on a headset for six or seven hours. So juxtaposed against a football game, this is a totally different beast. We like to say it's like doing back-to-back -back Super Bowls every time we crack a microphone, you know, 25 or so times a year. Uh, but it's the devil I know and I love it. And of course, it's my favorite sport now. And, uh, you know, I I'm thankful to have obviously a seat to what I believe is the greatest sport in the world. So just trying to enjoy the ride. Dana White's a tough guy to work for. So uh, just trying to earn that seat, you know, every weekend, including, you know, coming up here in two weeks. I'm looking at your picture. And and again, uh, in in... In full disclosure, um, I, I have not ordered any UFC fights after uh, Brian stopped participating in huh. that. But, you know, I, I see the news and I'm looking at the picture behind uh, behind you. And it's a character caricature of a pretty infamous picture that uh, solicited a lot of memes. Um, right. And um, and you have to explain that to us. And we'll put up a picture. And you'll, you'll be able to see this in the... Um, in the video version of the podcast, but it's, it's you and Joe Rogan and uh, another individual. And it's, it's during a, a specific fight. Um, yes. I don't actually know the story behind the picture. I just know I've seen that in a ton of different memes. So I'd love for you to explain that to us. Well, first I would say as a play-by-play -play announcer, I sort of see this as a radio job in some part, not that I have to fill all the gaps, but I'm not on television all that much. So it sort of was weird when they started repurposing this announcer cam and it really started resonating with people so much so that there's like a whole video for every pay-per-view of us on the UFC's YouTube channel. So inherently for a play-by-play -play guy, that's a little bit weird, but this was a fight between a couple of lightweights, Benil Daryush and Drakkar Close. And the nature of our reaction was such because it was just a rally, right? It looked like fighter A was going to win and then fighter B rallied to beat that guy. And uh, just an organic reaction of which there have been many, obviously, in the booth. There have been so many fights that have elicited that type of reaction because the sport, just the nature of it, as you know, to whatever degree is back and forth. It is the land of the unpredictable. There are big upsets in a championship setting all the time. So, uh, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy sport. And, uh, you know, what I've learned, you know, Brian Stan always told me, I have one of my fighter cards right here if you are on the video side. You know, it's an, Brian would always say it's an open book test. You might as well show up with some notes. But be careful looking down for too long, as I've learned the hard way sometimes. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a crazy sport. And I'm, I'm glad that Brian Stan uh, has his wits about him and is out the other side. Yeah. Well, you know, a little background, too. Um, the reason that uh, Brian started asking my brother to train with him is that my brother was a wrestler. So he was an all American wrestler, wrestled in high school, and then went on to wrestle at the Naval Academy was a, uh, nationally ranked top 20 wrestler going into his junior year at the Academy. And, wow. um, and so Brian is very much admits like he can, he can knock anybody out with one punch, but if they got him on his back, that's where that was his weak spot, right? He, he didn't know, he didn't know the ground game. So um, Travis was that person that was teaching him the wrestling side of, uh, of MMA. And um, I, you know, watching my brother's wrestling career, it's very similar to, you know, when I was watching Brian in these fights, it's like, it's this isolating sport where it's just you and another individual in the ring. You've got all these people around watching and you know, I will never forget. There are some wrestling matches that when my brother was 15 years old, that still just stick in my mind. Oh. 
it is the most stressful thing as a loved one uh, watching someone out there in that position uh, to just, you know, see them out in that vulnerability. And, um, and, but I also think, you know, wrestling and MMA, there is something so interesting about you, what you can learn about yourself uh, in that sport. And I don't think there's any other sport, uh, you know, team sports are amazing for so many reasons, but you know, MMA and wrestling, like being on the mat, just you and the other person, it's all on you, right? Yeah. There's no like, well, they threw me a shitty pass or, you know, uh, my, my, right. my defense didn't do well. There's so many other variables. There's no other variables. It's all on you. So right. I love that aspect of the sport for sure. And I'm sure you see that every day. Yeah. Tennis has some of that, but it doesn't have the physical contact. But my only thing that I can draw from would be tennis in a one-on-one environment. But anyone who's listening, and I probably don't have to say this to your audience, like I wish my dad had put me in wrestling. My son is four. It's like the smallest kid in the class by a mile. And one day he's going to have to wrestle. And it's probably going to be the hardest day of my life, you know, putting him through those one, two, three, or hopefully hundreds of wrestling practices. You know, the kid's training to be like 103 pounds as a senior in high school. So maybe he'll actually be a huge asset to the team. But you're so right about wrestling. And yeah, to whatever degree, that was Brian Stan's kryptonite, right? The wrestling and the grappling. That's why for you as his dear friend, he has a crowd pleasing style, but not ideal if you're watching because it's always haymakers and, uh, you know, caution to the wind. But wrestling and grappling is the best base for mixed martial arts. You know, if you're a striker, that's a hard gap to close, right? Like Travis had an advantage on Brian that Brian would never be able to close. Whereas a a non-striker might be able to close that gap a little bit more expeditiously. So, uh, yeah, it's a great sport. Uh, and hopefully my son uh, won't shed too many tears when he has that first wrestling practice. But I'm anxious about it right now, to your point. Like, I can imagine the scar tissue from 15-year-old wrestling matches back in your day. No doubt about it. Yeah. So I have, I have an eight-year-old son, and we put him, and his name is Travis. So, uh, you know, it was like, well, we've got to get, And, you know, people were sending him, Travis's uh, old coach at Navy, you know, he was like, a year old and he's sending him singlets, you know? And so it was like, this kid has to be Uh, a wrestler, right? So at five, actually he was, he was four. um, And we put him in the the Raiders, which was the youth wrestling program that my brother wrestled for Uh, started at five, but they were like, Oh, we'll we'll take Travis at four. And I'm like, okay. So yeah. So I put him in and um, my son is gearing up to be like the heavyweight wrestler. He's eight years old now. He's 80 pounds. He's almost as tall as me. He's a big kid. Um, And, but I put him in at four and he was a big kid at four years old. And I'll never forget his first wrestling match just to, just to prepare you. He goes up and there's, you know, we're, we're in the gymnasium and, you know, it's another team and the kid comes up and the, the dad, this kid has a rat tail, a six pack. The dad's like slapping him across the face. And I went up to Travis's coach and I was like, wait a minute, like my my son's wrestling him. And he was like, well, yeah, you know, it goes by weight. I'm like, that kid's like eight years old. And he's like, you know, he's like, there's no other way to do it. You have to go by weight. And I'm like, this is going to be terrible. And, you know, my kid is a gentle giant. He's not. and, And so he's looking at me, he's all excited and you know, he's been practicing with his team, but it's all very much fun wrestling around, like th- showing them takedowns in a, in a fun way, right? Sure. Nothing super competitive. And he got out on the mat 
And this guy, this kid, you know, had him down with a vicious kind of just threw his entire body onto the mat. And he came out with a smile. He's, you know, the kid's giving him one of these and Travis is smiling <laughs> and he throws him down on the mat and Travis's face is like sideways on the mat and he's looking at me and I just see a tear coming out oh, side of his, his, his eye. And I was like, oh my God, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. So, um, so needless to say, he's taken a couple years off. He's actually just getting back at eight years old. Um, but he quit wrestling that day. He did finish out the season, but, uh, but he was like, I don't want to wrestle. And so I now have him going in. And I think this is a, it, it is an interesting thing too. When you, you think about all these things you can learn from MMA and wrestling, you know, we learned as parents, we probably started too early, right? We were so excited about like, yes, we right, right. continue the legacy of his uncle, his namesake, and he wasn't ready for it. Right. And yeah. so he's getting into it again this year, but he's actually going to do academy style wrestling where there won't be matches. He'll just train I love it. I love it. times a week. And, and his eight-year-old mentality is like, okay, I'm ready for that. But he's like, no matches, mom. Cause he's scarred from that one. And I'm like, no matches, bud. Yeah. So, um, but That's yeah. Good. yeah. But see, he got it in, right? See, I never got it in. I used to write essays about not wrestling and not playing football, you know? So I understand the value in all of that stuff. I just happen to have the little kid who thinks, you know, he can take on the dude with the rat tail and he certainly can't. So, <laughs> you know, recently I was, when I was researching for uh, our episode, um, you're coming off a really exciting um, UFC 279 on pay-per-view. And for those that don't know, it was the main card on the fight, right? It was, uh, uh, Diaz versus who was the other, uh, Tony, fight? Tony Ferguson. It got all shuffled last minute. It was supposed to be Hamza Chimaya versus Nate Diaz, but Hamza couldn't make weight. So Nate Diaz fought Tony Ferguson and, uh, you know, we're conditioned to last minute changes, but this one was pretty unique. Yeah. So that was like a, a, a seven and a half pound. Um, like he, he was seven and a half pounds over. Right. At, uh, and I know that life too, of you know, watching my brother cut weight, but that was kind of surprising to see that uh, that many pounds over for that fight. Yeah. He went on and won, right? In the 180, is that correct? Yeah, so he fought at a catch weight and they did have sort of some backup plans built in and we could do a whole episode on weight cutting and uh, <laughs> why it should probably be outlawed completely, at least as far as MMA is concerned. I guess maybe I can understand it a little more as far as the wrestling goes, but yeah, it was going to be a really hard fight for Nate Diaz. Kamzat Shimaev is really unlike any prospect I've seen in the sport. He's just an animal and his work ethic and his discipline doesn't necessarily extend to the weight cut and the diet, right? Like he doesn't want to live the welterweight lifestyle 24, seven, 365. And with, with his build, he's going to have to do that if he wants to be the welterweight champion and not just make weight one time, but make weight for a fight like this, make weight to win the belt and then make weight multiple times to in theory, defend the belt. So he's probably going to move up to middleweight, which is 185 pounds. And for Nate Diaz, he got, Tony Ferguson and, and Nate was able to take care of that challenge and what was the final fight on his deal. But uh, just from our standpoint, like for our live production team, it's just crazy to have all of that fluctuation during fight week. Everything's pre-voiced. I shouldn't say everything, but we, we have a broadcast that sort of dovetails with an in-house broadcast. So I pre-voice a lot of elements and all of that had to be reworked. So uh, yeah, memorable uh, is one adjective for the weekend, I would say. So you see a lot of ups and downs with these athletes, obviously. Um, 
you literally see people at the highest of their careers and the, and the lowest as well. Um, how does that affect you personally? What have you seen that is just kind of changed you or made you think differently, have a little bit of a different perspective on things? Well, it's a great question. And candidly, if we say we average 13 fights a card, 26 athletes, I might be staying at the host hotel. And, you know, it's just a lot in my brain, right? Studying 26 fighters. So I might be after a fight and see a fighter in the hotel or see a coach. And within a split second, I got to think, all right, did he win? Did he lose? How did he win? How, right? Like it's, and give them the respect in that moment. And candidly, it all starts to mesh together, but it's very hard to see some of these guys absorb damage when you've developed personal relationships with them. I've called fights involving my broadcast partners. You know, when I called Brian Stan's final fight against Vanderlei Silva in 2013, I didn't have nearly the personal relationship that I would have with him a few years thereafter. But even then, you know, when I go into the octagon and stick a microphone in his face and he doesn't know that he lost the fight until I stick that microphone in his face, uh, that's a very difficult thing. And athletes will come up to me even just a few weeks ago and say, hey, can you talk to this matchmaker? Like, I know he's going to cut me. I've lost three fights in a row. Everybody in the world thinks I just beat that guy and I lost a split decision. And my inner monologue is like, bro, there's nothing I can do. And it's like, yeah, I'll talk to the matchmaker or see what I can do. But, uh, you know, I don't wield that type of power. So yes, it's very hard to your point, the thrill, the agony. It's really the hardest part of my job. And uh, I don't want to say the lows are, are lower than the highs are high because, when I see some of these athletes realize these financial gains or become a UFC champion for the first time, there's nothing for me as a broadcaster like when a fighter breaks through and wins a UFC title for the first time. Uh, but seeing a fighter, you know, walk back into their new life with a leg snapped in half or to be concussed for the fourth time in five fights or to lose their UFC contract, uh, you know, I don't know. That stays with me longer, I guess, than the highs do. Yeah. Um, I remember that last fight with Brian and I was – I was not upset that he decided to retire from the UFC after that fight. That was well at his wedding. It sounds like there's still plenty of fight I left mean, in the dog. So I, yeah. his daughters are within earshot. I'm like, can we, <laughs> can we have some feel for the room? I, your daughter's right behind you. You're talking about oh coming back. That was, I, 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 we were talking about it the next day, my husband, my dad and I, and I'm like, does anybody remember the fact that Brian said that he was coming out of retirement and we were all cracking up. So uh, yeah too funny. Um, you know, from the, the UFC perspective on a wider scale, you've, you've had a front row seat to the explosion of the UFC, you know, starting 11 years ago, it was not what it is today by any way, shape or form. How has that experience been for you to watch? And, and, you know, you, you certainly played such a large role in it. I mean, now you're, you're standing up there beside Joe Rogan, and, and commentating and, you know, you're seeing the biggest celebrities in the world show up at these fights. I mean, it's, it's gotta be a little bit like taking a step back, like, oh my gosh, this is, this is for real. Yeah. I mean, the Joe Rogan component is interesting. Like I joke, oh, you know, my broadcast partner is more famous than yours, but he literally is like the most famous man in America, more or less. Right. Yeah. So, and he's a great individual and has been from day one, you know, the first time I worked with him, actually, it was an emergent situation as a fill-in in 2012, but now it's been about six years, and, uh, you know, he embraced me to such an extent when I moved over to do the pay-per-views, but yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, when I was leaving ESPN in 2011, a lot of people were like, dude, you spent a long time trying to, like, get in the door at ESPN, and now you're bolting for this, uh, you know, blood sport, so to speak, 
feel like I got on the right train. You know, I left ESPN when they were doing a, a deal with Fox and now it sort of came full circle that we're back on ESPN or I shouldn't say back on ESPN, but the UFC is on ESPN. So it's very exciting. It really is. And uh, I still believe that we're just at the tip of the iceberg, at least domestically. Like in Australia, the shit's a big deal and has been for a long time, right? Like 50% of the women in Australia watch the UFC post-fight press conferences, never mind the live events, right? Like literally- <laughs> People will come up to us at the airport and be like, oh, did you catch this at the post-fight press conference? And it's like, no, we're, we're the announcers. We didn't even see that, right? So right. the way the the U.S. is obsessed with the NFL, that's where the UFC and MMA is in a lot of other pockets of the world. So as we close that gap on, you know, the NBA and, uh, you know, the NFL gap is always going to be pronounced, I think. But as we close that gap on the NBA and Major League Baseball, we've already passed the NHL. With respect, I say that to the puckheads out there. Uh, but no, it's very exciting. And, uh, you know, hopefully Brian Stan, who left me at the altar, comes back and grabs a microphone at some point for a few shows a year. Oh, that would be that would be amazing. And so, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but you have three children. They range in age from four to 11, correct? Yes. Yep. And um, Outside of, you know, your, your son, you're saying like, yeah, I want to get him into wrestling eventually, but, but your son comes to you and says, dad, I want to be a UFC fighter. What, what, what are you saying to him? Are you, are you championing that? Or are you saying, let's, let's talk about this. Well, let's start training, bud. Right. I mean, you're all talk. Let's get in the gym, right? Let's, but yes, I mean, certainly if he were to wrestle and grapple from a young age, absolutely. American football would be the thing that would give me pause, largely because of his size and largely because I was like done having kids. I had two girls. We got a dog. The dog bit everybody, bit my niece, had to get rid of the dog. And then ultimately, long story short, the Vegas shooting really hit us hard because we lived there for a while. That inspired us to create a life. We ended up having a son. And now I have this dilemma because I hold American football in the highest regard and I want him to play football. But every weekend, that sport is more dangerous than the sport that I exist in. It just is. You know, there's a car crash on every play. If you and I are in an octagon, I can't get my body going 25 miles per hour right. at you. You know, so football scares the hell out of me, fighting much less so. And mixed martial arts, unlike boxing, you know, I covered a boxing death in 2005, and it really shook me to my core. MMA, if you it's hard to get two concussions in one MMA fight. It does happen. Right. But in boxing, it happens all the time. You know, you get 10 seconds, get back to your feet. They shake out your hands, come get another concussion. Whereas in our sport, that's a TKO that fight ends. Right. So yes, he can be a UFC fighter, but um, let's just hope that he has that wrestling base and uh, that he's tougher than his dad, at least mentally. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more about the, the football piece. Um, uh, my, my, my son, he plays flag now. Um, Good. And uh, I, I had the head coach of Navy uh, football on my podcast um, last year. And I asked him, I said, you know, what are your thoughts about when, uh, when kids should start putting on the pads? And he said, not, no reason for them to even attempt to put on pads before junior high. And that made me feel good about the idea because again, I don't know if he'll ever just, you know, ever put on the pads. I'm fine with him playing the flag football and, uh, we told him it's just like tag and just go grab it off. And, and he was good with that. But yeah, you watch these kids out there and, and, and Brian talks about that too, you know, as a football player at Navy, he talks about like his bell was rung a lot more out on that football field than it was, yeah. uh, you know, when he was fighting. So, yeah. and there was a, there was a lot of those guys there at the wedding that 
that had their bell rung on the, the Navy football field. Yeah. And limbs too, right? I mean, yeah. not to get graphic, but certainly when I was in high school, you know, our kicker, you know, attempting a 25 yard field goal, you know, snapped his leg in half, you know? So, I mean, it just, American football scares the heck out of me. And I have to say too, being around all those guys at that wedding was, it was inspiring, but it was a little intimidating too. I'm like, man, like, look at this collection of men and all that they have done. And, you know, uh, but it, it was a very cool setting for me to be sure. Yeah. If you could talk about one fighter in the, in the course of the last 11 years, one fight that sticks out to you more than any other um, could be for a good reason or a bad reason, but one fight where you're just like, that is a fight that I will never forget. So perhaps there's some recency bias to this answer, but your audience will know if they're MMA fans that this is no cop-out. Kamar Usman was a minute away, our, our former U, now former UFC welterweight champion, just a few months ago from tying Anderson Silva's record for most consecutive UFC wins and having 20 consecutive wins in modern day mixed martial arts. He was going to win a decision and Leon Edwards, you know, head kicked him into the galaxy, you know, true like victory from the jaws of defeat long shot underdog becomes a UFC champion for the first time. I mean, it, it's a movie. The whole thing's a movie. And as I said, when Ronda Rousey got knocked out and I was not calling that fight, you know, for Kamar Usman, it's kind of a case of walking back into your new life. You're this invincible guy. You're about to tie this record that no one thought would ever be tied. And then all of a sudden that doesn't happen. And you're on a stool asking what happened and completely removed from consciousness. It was a vicious, vicious knockout. And yet um, this father to one beautiful little girl like handled it so graciously and so well, better than I think anyone could have expected, honestly. And uh, hopefully that doesn't mean he'll get back to competition sooner, but that result really sticks with me. Rose Namajunas had a huge knockout to become the champion at Madison Square Garden to be sure. But what Leon Edwards did a few weeks ago, it's the most seminal moment that I have witnessed in 11 years. It just so happened to have been, you know, a few weeks ago. Recently, yeah. So you see the resilience of these fighters, you know, some of them that uh, take these big hits and they're done, some of them that come back from them. Um, is there anything that you have learned from them, you know, in terms of just how you live your life outside of, you know, athletics? Um, and anything that you've learned from them and, and, and adding on to that, like the biggest challenge that you face personally, and have you led into, you know, leaned into some of the lessons you've learned and watched uh, with them in the ring? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I'll start by saying fighters are crazy. They're uh, habitually late and uh, there are a lot to deal with. No, but I love obviously my colleagues and uh, I guess discipline would probably be my biggest takeaway. And uh, yeah, I mean, certainly when I look back at some earlier UFC footage, you know, uh, my face was even chubbier than it is now, if you can believe it. But certainly the discipline in my life, I think, comes from being around these guys and thinking that if they're doing two and three a days, I can certainly work out six days a week. So uh, I've just learned a lot about nutrition. I don't always apply it nutritionally, but I've learned a lot about strength and conditioning and the value of strength training. And uh, I guess just multitasking and, and just finding just a better balance in my own life. And uh, I just think it's exceedingly difficult for any parent to sort of balance any sort of major professional ambition or aspiration. And for these fighters, unfortunately, the inconvenient truth for them is that 
it requires so many hours of just hard training per day to get them ready for what they're going to deal with. So um, they have my ultimate respect. And, uh, you know, it's an honor for me to obviously sit to their left and to pick my spots, right, in a sport that, you know, I'm not a lifelong martial artist, right? So I obviously have to, you know, find my lane and, and make sure that I'm deferential when it comes to making them the guys that shine on the broadcast. But, uh, man, it's just such an honor. They say hockey players are like the best athletes to deal with. For me, it's fighters. I mean, to a man, to a woman, they're, they're really gracious on this roster, you know, top to bottom. Would you say that that is the one word to describe? Like if, if you're going to be, uh, excel at this sport, it's discipline. Yeah. I mean, you know, I read something recently about discipline being more important than motivation. And I do believe that is true. And I think hard work does beat talent largely. Uh, but I do think that as I've gotten older, I've believed more in, in organic talent or God-given talent. You know, I used to say, no, nah, it's all, you know, it's all what you work and all you make of it. But yeah, I mean, I definitely believe that at times I've lacked ambition in my life and that hasn't necessarily held me back in terms of realizing some professional success. Uh, but I do think discipline is more important at times than motivation. It's great to say I'm motivated and I have all these goals, but it's really kind of like lunch pail every day for better or for worse. And I know people don't necessarily want to hear that um but like i have a very antiquated system a lot of people believe in terms of my fighter cards and how i write this out but it hasn't failed me yet it forces me to study and um you know i i don't know i real as trite as it sounds like i truly treat 11 years in the same way as year one because if you don't think ufc president dana white would fire me like he is within his rights to fire me without cause at any time and right. don't think he won't we're trying to earn it next weekend <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, um, uh, a good friend of mine is, is Jocko Wilnick, um, and he's been on Rogan's podcast several times. He's been on my podcast. I've been on his, and um, and he does a lot for us with um, working with our veterans um, that are going through different leadership programs within our organization. And it was last year, actually, he was doing an online um, an online webinar with a bunch of veterans, and I sat in on it, and. Um, and he started just what you said. He said, you know, uh, motivation is a, a fleeting emotion. It comes and it goes. So if you are going to rest on motivation to get you to where you want to be, you know, whether that's physically or mentally, like it's, it's not going to work. And I, when I had him on my podcast, because if you follow him on social media, he, you know, every day he posts a picture of his watch and it's like, oh, yeah. and it's like, get yeah. up. and yep. <laughs> you know, when I had him on and I'm like, Jocko, I'm like, I said, you know, I have to be honest with you. Like if I, if I'm in an event and I'm out late or I've, I'm traveling and my flight gets in at 1am, like I'm not getting some at 4.30. Like my body is saying in order to get some, you need to sleep for the, another four hours. And, you know, when he walked me through that a little bit and saying like, he actually super values uh, sleep, but his body does not require uh, sleep in the same way some others and and you know kind of talk to me about the science behind that that everybody requires different levels of sleep but he is a a, a true believer in this idea of discipline and you know in order to achieve your best self like you need to do it no matter what you know no matter whether you're sick you're tired you're hungry like you have to you have to maintain that discipline each and every day um i'm always very truthful with him to say that like I still probably ride off of motivation a little bit more. You know, I, I, I'm one of those people that goes in waves where you can find me sometimes, 
you know, training for a marathon and working out, doing two a days. And then you can catch me four months later. And I'm like, yeah, I haven't worked out in a month, you know? And so I, I still struggle to find that like daily discipline to make sure that I'm, you know, doing things consistently. I would say consistency is, um, is something that I continually work on for sure. Yeah. I think some of my discipline is probably rooted in the fact that, uh, my suits are tiny. The way they fit suits for men in 2022 is such that I can't take too many days off, but, uh, yeah. And you know, hopefully I didn't pluck it from him, but if I did, you know, certainly, but no, yeah, it is interesting because at times I've sort of, I have an identical twin brother. So I have someone with whom I share DNA. So you have the constant point of comparison to whatever degree and somebody constantly to bounce things off of that thinks and talks and feels the way you do. And, uh, I feel like at times maybe he's more ambitious than I am. I've just gotten more breaks in life, you know? So it's an interesting conversation, but um, I do believe discipline is the thing that I preach to my daughters and will eventually preach to my son more than anything else. Uh, you know, you just got to suck it up every day. Not at 4.30 a.m., but every day. Yes. So, you know, you've, you've got three kids and you're, you're on the road a lot. How do you balance that and and I think a lot a lot of people are always struggling. People that are you know in professional careers, like how do you find that balance? I have people that ask me that all the time. Like how do you do it all? And a lot of times I say you know sometimes you don't. Um, something has to suffer. But what have you found that works for you with the fact that you know you do travel a lot and and you're you're back and forth? What's that dynamic look like that helps you um, from family to professional life? You know, I don't know that I strike the balance as much as I wish I would like. I've been on the road a hundred nights a year, essentially for the last 11 years. And just like when I moved from Vegas to Florida, I became conditioned to the humidity as opposed to the dry heat. My daughters are kind of conditioned to me missing things. And that is obviously the hardest thing for me to deal with. Uh, And obviously as they get older, there are more things that I have to miss. So I'm sort of committed to this professionally, I think, for the next however many years, maybe five years or so, and then something's going to have to give because uh, I'm a homebody. I'm the homesick camper that would rather be, you know, home with my children. My wife is a middle school math teacher, and thankfully my kids all go to school at the school that she's at. But uh, yeah, it's hard. It really is hard. And the thing is, is as you get older in theory and as you continue on, at least in the broadcasting world, there are more things that come your way instead of less. Right. And I try to be as selective as possible. And I'm, I'm always flying the red eye, you know, perhaps to the detriment of my health, but uh, you know, literally flew the red eye after our show this past Saturday night and always trying to get out early, but uh, you know, constantly trying to find that balance, including recreation to, to be the best sort of father broadcaster and everything else that I can be. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how anybody retires though with three children. I really don't know how anybody retires. Maybe someday. <laughs> Who do you look for for inspiration? So it's interesting. A lot of the play-by-play guys that were mentors for me are very silent when it comes to social media or messaging like that. Um, But I do find that being in the martial arts space just puts a lot of people on my radar, like the jockos of the world that wouldn't otherwise be. But it's the athletes for me. It's just a constant source of motivation. And I do think that there's a competitiveness and an underlying competitiveness with me and my broadcast partners. And they would maybe not admit that I'm a non-fighter. Right. But at the end of the day, we're all trying to support our families and we're all in this space together. And I think we're all driven by each other. Uh, But seeing a lot of my broadcast partners transition from fighting into retirement and doing anything I can 
even if it's just a conversation to help them with that transition is, uh, is something that I enjoy greatly. Um, but yeah, I would say it's mostly fighters and kids, man, you know, it's like my daughter who's 11, uh, I think intellectually is already on my level in a lot of respects and will pass my level very soon because she reads. So, uh, that's exciting for me, you know, to be able to have that relationship with my daughter who is, uh, quickly becoming my best friend, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll look, I'll look in any direction. It's cool when kids get to that age, right. Where all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, we're yeah. I want to hang out with you and just have like yeah. conversations with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah uh, for sure. it's a cool feeling, you know, and, and I've got the, I've got an eight year old and then I have a 13 year old and I have a 16 year old. So I'm, I, I, I run the full span and you're kind of in, you're in the, you know, you're almost getting to my phase and it, yeah. it's an exciting time. So, um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I look again with my kids, I, I look to them daily for inspiration. I see so much of what I want to be, um, in some of in my kids, you know, there's so many things that they do now that I'm like, man, if I, my, my, my oldest daughter is, a uh, just committed to play, uh, uh, D1 lacrosse at the Naval Academy. And wow. I'm like, God, if I had like a fraction of your drive at age 16. It's just incredible. And sometimes I wonder, I'm like, who raised you? Because I, I, I mean, you didn't get it from me. I mean, she's just, um, but it's very cool. It's very cool to get to that place. That is cool to hear you say. And that's why I don't want to sort of sit here and say, you know, that I'm the most driven person in the world because don't, don't get a twist. I feel like I work harder than anybody on our crew or as hard as anybody on the crew, but I didn't have that drive when I was, that age at all. It was like, where's the common application to apply by early decision. So I don't have to apply to all these colleges. Like that was my mentality. Uh, so yeah, I do think a lot of it's instilled. I mean, certainly I think parenting can, uh, can help. Right. But it's like, if my kids are getting dusted in the face with a volleyball in their nose and, you know, they'd rather cheerlead, you know, I'm trying, that's the biggest balance for me is how the push and pull of when do you say it's okay to, to quit volleyball, honey, and just do cheerleading and dance if that's your passion. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, we'll it's get that, there. That, that parenthood, it's a hard thing. Yeah. I, 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 you know, we talk about like Travis and I were 15 months apart and wow. he, my dad, you met my dad at, at the, um, at the wedding, he's a retired Colonel in the Marine Corps. And somebody yesterday I was golfing and someone said, well, tell me about your dad. Like what, what, you know, I know he's a, he was a Colonel in the Marine Corps. Like, what's he like? I'm like, well, think about what you're, you're in your head, what you think about a, a Colonel in the Marine Corps being, you know? And I said, that's what he was. That's what he is. You know, yeah. he is like, I mean, he's got a heart of gold, but he was tough and he was tough on us. And I, I didn't subscribe to that toughness. In fact, I was like, you know, the tougher he was, the more I pushed away. And he, he will tell stories now of like, yeah, Ryan and I went through a hard, we're best friends now, but we went through that, that rough patch where he said, he told me that in high school, he turned to my, my mom and he said, she's all yours. Like it, it's not working. Yeah. Where my yeah. brother, you know, he put that same toughness towards my brother of do that. And, and my brother just, it, it, that's what got him going. It was like, all right, like, yeah, dad, I'm going to go lift. I'm going to do this. Like he definitely was attracted to that type of leadership, you know? So um, as a parent, I think you have to learn that like every kid requires a different parenting style, you know? So retrospectively, are you grateful for that? Because if anyone's giving my kids tough love, right, it's me. 
So not that I'm some disciplinary and I've never punished my kids in their life, (laughs) but I think when I raise my voice, it certainly resonates. But for me, it's a balancing act because it's like, I'm gone. So I come home and I'll see my daughter's face buried in her cell phone. It's like, Am I just going to walk in the door, put my suitcase down and start disciplining? Well, I guess I am. Right. But do you, are you grateful for that now? Well, you know, I will Please say, say yes. Cause. Oh well, yeah. I, I will say that I probably parent the same, you know, my, my husband will say to me, you are just like your dad. Huh. So I am actually the tougher one. My yeah. husband is, my husband is the cheerleader. You know, when, when my daughter, you know, it's a journey, you know, when you're getting ready and you're, you're looking to get recruited and, and, you know, Maggie would walk off the field and she'd have a tough game. And I'd be like, well, that's it. No one's going to take her now. And he's like, whoa, chill, you know? And, and I had like, I used to play basketball in high school. And if I had a crappy game, my dad would be like, you're not coming in until you do a hundred layups left-handed and a hundred layups right-handed. And I'll see you inside. And like, and I was, and I'm out in the driveway in the dark and 40 degrees, like doing my layups before I could come inside. I am not like that, Yeah. but I am the tougher parent. So I don't know if I'm grateful for, I I am grateful. I'm grateful because I look back on it now and I'm grateful for the fact that, you know, I watched how my brother, you know, responded to that leadership style with my dad and that parenting style. And, you know, frankly, I see a lot of that in my daughter where, Sometimes I'm probably a little too tough on her, um, but I have the nice balance with my husband. Perfect. He can, you know, um, and, you know, I, I, I'm very much like him now. So um, it's, an, it's an interesting dynamic. All of what uh, bothered me when I was a kid, I became myself. So Isn't that amazing. Um, yeah. And by the way, great golf swing. It looks like you're a left-handed I am left-handed, yes. And it looks like you drove the green too on that. I mean, I we did. didn't get the yes. yeah. Yes, it was I, I was playing with a golf pro yesterday. So that certainly helped. And um I've golfed, you know, when I golf with my dad, he gives me all the tips of, you know, you've got to lock your pinkies and keep this arm straight. And yeah. I've never really found my rhythm on the golf course. And yesterday I golfed with this golf pro. And I said, can you help me with my swing? And he said, yeah, I can stop thinking about it. And I said, okay, but let me know what to do. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, you know, get up behind the ball and swing it the way way that feels most comfortable for you. And the first four holes, I was, you know, I was shanking them to the, it, it was not looking pretty. And as soon as he said that, and I took everything and I told my dad this, so I'm okay saying it with you now, because I told him on the way home. But I said, dad, everything you told me, it was like this, like mind F for me. I took all of that out and I just swung the ball. I hit the green um, or the fairway every single time from that, from that time on. And I was like, oh, it just clicked for me. And I walked away feeling like I love golf more than I've ever loved it before. And I mean, I'm like planning trips to Ireland to go golf. That's yeah. I caught the bug yesterday and he was saying this golf pro is from Chicago. And he said, you know, um, we put way too much technicality into the sport of golf with people that are just getting started. And that's where golf becomes the most frustrating sport on the planet. And he said, you get up there and you swing the ball and he goes, and the the form and the technique, it will come. Um, so I subscribe to that philosophy. I feel like it's sort of like Brazilian jujitsu. It's actually somewhat simple. You see great golfers. They oftentimes have very simple swings, even if the tempo is different, but yes, I do think we overcomplicate it. And, uh, so many different things to think about 
for me, I try to think about like one or two things and I try to swing as slow as humanly possible and uh, yeah, hope for the best, but it, it is the most addicting game in the world. Like be careful what you wish for. You play well all of a sudden um, with three kids. It's like, how do you get out for five hours? But it is as addicting as any sport in the world for me to be well, sure. Well, yeah. And I think a good, you know, for me, I'm like, this is a good professional sport. We have probably six or seven golf tournaments uh, for the foundation, either that we host ourselves or that people host for us and we're the beneficiary. And, you know, I'm always the one that historically I've always been the one that I, I show up and I, you know, speak to the crowd and then I hop on a golf cart and I run. Oh, you're playing. You got like, Yeah. And I'm like, I'm playing this. And, and to yesterday I was like, there is never going to be another golf tournament held that I'm not playing in it. So yeah. Um, yeah. It was exciting. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll help out with your role because I could play in like certain tournaments, you know, be, as a UFC broadcast, I'm afraid I'm going to hit somebody in the goddamn gallery. <laughs> I'm serious. Like I, if there's anything resembling people lining a fairway, I can't promise that I'm not, I could shoot 92, but I could also hurt someone very badly. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, and, and the great thing about golf tournaments is most of them are scrambles. So, you know, we right, were right. Par yesterday. My dad goes, how'd golf go? I'm like, three under par. He goes, huh. bullshit. I'm like, well, I was playing with a golf pro. Right. But my biggest claim to fame yesterday, uh, and then I'll stop talking about it because I'm still on a high, but in the scramble format, you know, you take best ball. Uh, there were four drives that, and, and obviously I'm, I'm hitting from the ladies' tee, so I'm a little bit further up than, than my comrades I was playing with, but there were four drives that I was best ball at the end of the, at the end of the 18. So once I found my groove, they were like, Oh, we're definitely using your ball, Ryan. And I was like, the first time I was like, wait, what you're using my, and then it was four times that I drove that ball and they used mine. So I, I felt very accomplished yesterday. And you have video of the swing that you're now going to try to duplicate every time you yes. go out and play. And you know, a couple shots of maker's mark along the way also helps warm me up too. So well, that's, therein lies the rub. I always play better when I have a little alcohol in my system, but I feel like I want to beat the game sober, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. And cannabis is like the worst thing for my golf. Team. So um, <laughs> stay away from that. Yeah. That was tough for me yesterday because I felt stiff and it was cold and we got to, you know, we got a few uh, holes in and there was the clubhouse and they're like, they had cold beers. And I'm like, I don't want a cold beer. It's 45 degrees. And I said, yeah, give me a shot of that maker's mark. And as soon as that kind of warmed me up, I was like, okay. Oh, so, yeah, I love so, it. Yeah, what better sport? Um, I'd love to know, too, well, I, you know, I, you, you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, co-hosting alongside Joe Rogan. I know this audience would want to know some insight about really, like, what it what it's like to work alongside him. Because, again, it's not just like, oh, he's, you know, the biggest guy in, in, in this industry. I mean, he's one of the most well-known people in the, in the entire world and um, you're standing alongside him. Uh, it's gotta be kind of, and, and you knew him before, you know, so you, you've kind of seen this rise in popularity, you know, give us something that, give us something that, uh, that people aren't going to uh, typically hear. Well, it's interesting when you think about his rise and, 
the way he sort of the relationship he has with just your average American man is absolutely nuts, right? Like most people in my life, brother-in-law, brothers, friends know much more about Joe Rogan than I do because they listen to every word out of his mouth and every podcast that he's ever done. Now I get to get undressed with the guy in a dressing room, which is pretty cool, you know, but he's just the real article. Like what you see is what you get, right? Like He's not super excited when like the Buffalo Bills offensive line sticks around after a pay-per-view to meet him because like he just wants to go home and he's not an NFL fan. Whereas for me, it's like, dude, that's Richie Incognito over there. Come on, you know, Um, but it's tricky because everybody wants a piece of him. And, you know, being a public figure to whatever degree, I think it's it it's a weird thing to sort of navigate. And for him, I just can't even imagine, you know, what it's like. And sometimes when your broadcast partner is, is an A-list celebrity, your inclination would be to like back off and give them their space. But if everybody does that, then everybody is staying away from the guy, you know, but I do think socioeconomically it's tricky, right? As I was, so is he just supposed to sponsor every fucking meal that when we all go out, is he supposed to just pay for it every time? Um, But no, I mean, honestly, like, anecdotally people always want some crazy story. I mean, we talk about coffee, we talk about jujitsu, we talk about fighting a lot because we don't have a lot of time together when we're not actually calling fights, but me and Joe and Daniel Cormier uh, are on a text thread together and um, you know, we're all very close and uh, you know, it, the, the instances in which we actually are able to get together after shows are few and far between. Cause I go right to the post fight show and everything else, but uh, he's just a, a great, great man. And uh, you know, I think a lot of, people in the public eye feel sort of perpetually misunderstood. And I think because he's not afraid to sort of put it all out there, he's misunderstood by a lot of people. He's an information seeker at the end of the day. And, um, you know, just a really, really good hearted, genuine human being. Yeah, I I love that. And I think you, you know, I think that is why so many people respond to him because he is an information seeker. You know, there's, it's, it's very easy to put this kind of like label on him, which, which is, has happened. But if you really are a fan and you really listen to the scope of the people he has on the people he interviews, like it runs the full spectrum and you can't, you know, carp, uh, put him in a box and say, he is just this. And he is just seeking this information, you know, right, right. left. He wants to hear it all. And that's what I respond to about him, you know? And I think that's what, again, I think that's why his celebrity has risen and he just he's not afraid to kind of just say it all I have so much respect for people that can just put it all out there the good the bad and the ugly and just be their most authentic self yeah Um, and I think that's what you see with him yeah and all of us can't be that way you know like even for me as a play-by-play guy like I can't go smoke a blunt on his podcast and maybe go call (laughs) NFL football games in five years. You know what I mean? So it's like, maybe at times I'll walk right up to that line and not cross it. But no, I mean, here's a guy who's a mixed martial arts fanatic, a martial artist at his core, grew up in Boston where I did yet, couldn't name probably five Boston athletes, couldn't care less about all of that. And yet I have four books over there that I bought from authors on his podcast right now. I've read none of them, Um, but one of them, just as an example, is about just, you know, how because of diet and other environmental conditions that, you know, women and reproduction are having issues. And it's like, I have two daughters, like, of course, I'm going to buy that book. I may not read it, but of course I'm going to buy it. So yes, he's just a layered individual. He's certainly a Renaissance man. And, um, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, I used to get starstruck, obviously standing next to the dude, right? Can you imagine my first pay-per-view on three days notice in 2012? You're standing next to Joe Rogan, you know? And then when I finally got the job, uh, I shouldn't say finally, but when I became the pay-per-view guy uh, at the end of 2016, that first show in January or February of 2017 was a little nerve wracking. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but um, I do think that he enjoys having not just me, but like a fighter to his right, which he didn't have in the past. And um, I think we, we make it fun for him and hopefully he sticks around forever. So I love it. So, you know, when we talk about, again, this, this podcast is called the resilient life podcast. And, you know, I've had people on here that have had the gone through the most tragic situations that life could possibly throw at them. But one of the things that I always stress to the audience is that like, uh, we don't have to always have these like seismic events to teach us about living a re resilient life and, and knowing what resiliency means. Um, is there anything you can harken back to in your own life where you had to be kind of taught about being resilient? And um, to add on to that, like what is a resilient life look like for you now? Well, every day that resilience, I think, shows up. And you certainly hear a lot of fighters talk about resiliency being their greatest attribute, whether it's as a fighter or in training or ability to bounce back from injuries, you know. Um, but like, I don't sit here and say I come from a broken family, but my parents got divorced when I was 11 or 12. And there was a circumstance surrounding their divorce. I always tell my mom, until she lets me include this circumstance, I can't write a book. So mom, <laughs> if you're listening to the resilient life podcast maybe you let me share it the next time i come on with ryan but the circumstances surrounding that for me in the late 1990s was really unique and so i would lose friendships and didn't quite know what was going on and you move from the big house in the nice town to the tiny house and the you know but yeah. i just always leaned into my siblings and um you know, I obviously my twin brother, it's a very unique life circumstance to, to be a monozygotic identical twin. And that's obviously the greatest blessing for me in my life. And um, that has helped me a lot. But even this past weekend, you know, there was an utterance that I wish I could take back. You know, I use the word testicles right um, in in a fight. And uh, I just got animated about a foul offense grab and, uh, you know, sort of made the reference like, you know, maybe if the referee, you know, had the conviction, maybe you take a point. Right. And I regret it. Right. But I'm constantly having to sort of bounce back from things like that and put out fires, whether it's with bosses or fighters. I mean, heaven forbid, with fighters, obviously, I hold them in the highest regard and um, obviously I defer to them, but fighters and fans and coaches like after almost every show, Ryan, like someone's unhappy with something that I've said, you know, right. um, and I try to treat it with diplomacy. And certainly if there's grounds on which to apologize, I certainly will do that. But, uh, you know, have a family to remind me. But I, you know, I consider myself to be, if not driven or, or nor ambitious, I think I've been pretty resilient in my life. And um, but again, it's like, but I got, you know, but what what does to, what tomorrow may bring? I don't know. But hopefully I'll wake up and I'll I'll lift weights instead of run three miles, which is just a cop out workout. So I um, I'm right there with you. The strength training when you get harder, when you get older, Ugh. right? You know, you gotta know. do it. You gotta do it. Um, but but I love that, you know, and, and I think one of the things you said earlier is, you know, you may not always be the most driven, but you're gonna work harder than anybody in the room. And I think that like a lot of times that is uh what being resilient is all about right? Like just kind of like putting on those shoes and saying, 
no matter what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to find the path, give it, it's going to be, you know, the work that I put into it, maybe a little bit of luck. Um, but I'm going to get to where I want to be. And so, um, you know, I, I, I love that people can kind of, again, I, I think a lot of times when I share my story and I talk about living a resilient life and struggling and, and overcoming adversity, like most people uh, in, in this country, in this world, are not going to get a knock at the door that says, you know, your loved one was killed serving overseas, right? And so I always want to make sure that people can understand that, like, you can live a resilient life. You can struggle every day to be the best father, to be, you know, uh, the best prof- in your professional life. And, and, but as long as you wake up every day knowing, okay, yeah, I did a little bluff this weekend, um, but this is how I'm going to move forward from it. Right. Yeah. Like that's resiliency. Yeah. And it's, it's simple. Um, and sometimes we, we overcomplicate what it means. Yeah. And I just do want to say, I mean, it, it was, it was such an honor to meet you and certainly, some emotions came over me when I found out that it was you and your dad. And obviously because of, you know, I just obviously hold your brother in the last name and in, in, in the highest regard. Um, and I commend you for this. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, right? Especially when you procreate and you make that decision and you bring individuals into this crazy world and you try to, within the constraints of who they are and their nature, like teach them to be disciplined or to be resilient and try to surface that resilience that you know resides somewhere in there and ideally have it surface a little bit younger than when it did for me, right? Not that I'm like banging on my parents, right? But like, can you extract the mental and physical toughness a little bit earlier from me, right? Like make me wrestle or something, you know? So that's sort of something that I'm trying to do to see if I can, you know, harden them a little bit, you know, um, in, in a coddling world. Getting them ready. I appreciate yeah. it. John, yeah. thank you so much for joining us today on the Resilient Life podcast. It's, uh, it's been awesome to talk to you, get to learn a little bit more about the UFC. And um, I'm going to give you my commitment that I am going to get back now, you know, getting to meet you. Um, if not just for the fight, because again, I have trouble watching those fights sometimes. Um, but I, I think I'll be a little bit more desensitized when I'm not, I don't have that personal connection. Um, but when is the next fight coming up? Well, your son's wrestling matches, I would think would be so much more anxiety filled than watching this sport that really is just superficially violent. The blood is what does it, but no, we got a big one coming up. Big UFC one. 280 Abu Dhabi. This is where we spent a lot of time during COVID, right? It was Fight Island and we were in quarantine and everything else. But uh, October 22nd, live on pay-per-view, it'll be 2 p.m. Eastern because we'll be going at night in Abu Dhabi. But uh, it's as good a fight card as we can put together. Uh, Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhachev in the main event. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate everybody's support, obviously. And, um, you know, obviously I do think that there is, you know, an inexorable link between the military and the UFC. And it's always been foundationally sponsorship what like a big point of unison for the ufc so uh to everybody who's listening we got to get you to a live event but to everybody out there listening come see us live i love it i will i will be i I will be tuning in and then hopefully uh when you come back stateside i'll get to a live event let's do it all right john thank you so much for joining us please make sure to like subscribe and share with your friends and thank you for listening to another episode of the resilient life podcast john thank you so much thank you ryan